We're going to finish uh, 2 Thessalonians today, which means we are going to read 18 verses, but we're not going to focus on all of them. We're not going to really focus on the last four or five there as, as Paul uh, ends the letter um, and stuff like that. However, I do want to, we are going to talk about one part of what he says in there because I just find it interesting. It's not really theological. It's just interesting, I think. So that's what we're going to do. Um, if you don't, if you don't remember, we last talked about, not last week, last week we talked about something different, but the last time we were in 2 Thessalonians, right, and again, this is why I keep my notes up here when we're doing a sermon series so that I can just go right back to them, I suggest you too keep your notes from the previous weeks. It makes it easier. That's also why I print them out, so you can have them. We talked about the fact that you were chosen from the beginning of time, and that therefore, since you were chosen, stand firm in what Christ has. Stand firm in what he says. Stand firm in what's been taught to you, not the, not the, the ancillary type of things, but the, mo the important things, the basics. Stand firm in who you are, and who you are is not based upon you, it's based upon Christ and what he did. Stand firm in that. So that's where we left off. So now this week, we're in 2 Thessalonians here, chapter 3. And one of the verses in this, um, you're probably going to recognize, and you're going to go, oh, I've heard that before. Good. Let's read it, shall we? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For those of you that are at home, uh, I do read out of the New American Standard uh, Bible, so uh, that's what I read out of, but you can read out of whatever you have there. And for those of, us, those of us here, it's up there on the screen. Let's read it, shall we? It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Verse 6 now. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would follow our example. For even... For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to, be, to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Verse 14, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord 
be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And this is, this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We're going to start at the end, and this doesn't have to do with your notes, but this is the part that I wanted to point out that I kind of like. If you remember, way back in chapter 1 of this, uh, of this uh, uh, book, of this letter, Paul is like, listen, you've heard from people, and they've written letters, and they said they were from me. They weren't. And Paul gives an evidence here at the end to say, listen, this is how you know it's me. We know that a lot of Paul's epistles, he did not physically write the whole thing. He was blind, at least partially, from the moment that uh, he sees Jesus, even after the scale-like substance comes off his eyes, uh, he's still blind, for the, uh, at least partially, for most of his life. That is what most scholars believe the thorn in his flesh is that he talks about in, uh, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, but that he talks about when he says, I have the thorn in my flesh. Most scholars believe that that is the fact that God never returned his eyesight to what it was before. And because of that, he can't really write as well anymore. He can't see to do it. But it's interesting here that he says in verse 17, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And it's a distinguishing mark for my letters. Oftentimes, Paul would write both the very beginning and the very end of his own letters. He would dictate the, the bulk of it, the middle section. But he would often handwrite the very beginning and the very end so that the, whoever he was writing to, whether it be a church like this one or a person like Timothy or Philemon, he, he could, he could, they would know it was from him and that it was a personal letter. So I just find that really interesting that he goes, listen, I told you that other letters weren't from me. Here's how you know. Here's the evidence that it's me that's writing. You'll know because it'll have my handwriting on it. It's an interesting thing that I, I, I found as I was studying this passage, and I was like, well, I want to point that out to them. Now let's dive into the theological meat of this stuff. Number one on your note sheet there, number one on your note sheet there, he is faithful. He is faithful. Now that he we're talking about is Jesus, not Paul or Timothy or Silvanus. Uh, it's talking about God. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you, that, and that we will not be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. That's the first three verses of this passage. First off, Paul wants them in Thessalonica to pray that the word of God would spread rapidly. I'm here to tell you, the word of God spread rapidly rapidly. It always has. It always will. Now, there were some places where it didn't, such as Athens. When you read in Acts about the church that, that Paul tries to set up in Athens, it doesn't work very well. So I'm not saying that in every little tiny place that Paul went, he was successful at spreading the gospel and making this massive church and stuff like that. It's not true. It didn't happen all the time like that. But look throughout history and watch as the word of God has spread throughout the nations. And I want to point something else out too. What has been the, what, what circumstance, what world circumstance has caused the word of God to spread rapidly? It's trial and tribulation in whatever country they're in. It's when the church is being persecuted. 
Look throughout history. It's so incredible. When Satan tries to destroy a church, when he tries to push down Christianity, even when it's been forced into catacombs and, and underground, what happens? It explodes. Because God says, listen, you're trying to crush me. That's not going to work. So the word, I'm telling you this morning, church, that the word of God will spread rapidly, but you've got to talk about it. You've got to spread it. It's not going to go to every single person. You're not going to be successful with every single person that you preach to. Not everybody's going to come to church. Not everybody's going to become a Christian. Not everybody is going to become, not everybody's going to have a Saul to Paul transformation. That doesn't mean you shouldn't spread the word with everything you have. The next thing that's in there is that, listen, you're going to face adversaries. Verse 2 says, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Listen, I'm telling you, church, you're going to face some adversaries here. It's going to happen. Now, I'm not here to tell you who is an adversary in this world right now. You make your own decisions on that. I will tell you who the main adversary is. It's Satan. Forget people. Fight the spiritual battles. And I'm also here to tell you, church, that there is a massive spiritual battle going on over this country right now. It's always, it's always been there, but it's coming to a head right now. I'm not here to tell you, and I don't believe, let me make this very clear, I do not believe that America is the new Israel. That's, it's just not true. Israel will always be Israel. Israel will always be God's chosen people. He chose them first. He's choosing them last. Everything in Revelation doesn't have to do with the church. It has to do with Israel. Israel's God's favorites. If somebody ever tells you, well, God doesn't play favorites, you laugh at them. He sure did. He chose Abraham and his line. He played favorites. Sorry. And the only reason, church, that you get to be a part of it is because Israel said, no, nah, we're not following it. And so he said, all right, fine, I'll go to the Gentiles too. Sorry. Read it. It's in there. There you go. The whole scripture talks about it. So I'm not here to tell you that America is Israel and we've got to fight. No, no, no. But I am here to tell you that America is one of the most, most blessed countries that has ever existed, both in land, in resources, and in leaders. And God's hand was over this country. And I use the word was very specifically because it's not anymore. We're in a spiritual battle. I don't care if you like Trump or not. I don't care if you like Wolf or not. I don't care if you like Nancy Pelosi. I don't care. Are you fighting the spiritual battle? Because that's the adversary that we have. That's the real adversary. No, I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm not telling you not to worry about what our politicians do and stuff like that. Well, yes, I am telling you not to worry. God's in control. I'm not telling you not to pay attention. But I am telling you, fight the real battle against the real adversary. And that's what we did a few weeks ago at prayer meeting when we prayed for this country and for our leaders and for what's going on. We were fighting the real battle. Continue to do it. That's the adversary you're going to face. Sometimes it makes itself out to be a human. Sometimes evil men and women do evil things. I've heard a lot of people, a lot of Christians talk about how they hope that Nancy Pelosi, and this breaks my heart, that Nancy Pelosi goes to hell for all that she's done. I don't hope that. I hope she becomes a Christian and goes to heaven. 
I hope she turns her back. I hope she has a Saul to Paul moment in her life. Because I did. So I better hope that she does too. Because the real adversary is not her. The real adversary, I'm here to tell you church, and you know because I've talked about this, the real adversary is not abortion, which I find an abomination. That's not the real adversary. The real adversary is Satan. We've got to fight him. And when you fight him, you end up fighting some physical battles too at times. But that's the real adversary that we're facing. And here's the thing. This is great. In verse 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Notice Paul doesn't say he will strengthen and protect you from evil men. He doesn't say he will strengthen and protect you from evil policies and government. No, he says God is faithful. He will protect you from the evil one. Church, you don't have to fear Satan. You don't have to fear your adversary. You can't face him on your own. Let's be clear on that. If it was just you versus Satan, you'd be, he'd toy with you. The only reason the battle wouldn't be over in a second is because he'd probably enjoy playing with you. But you have Christ in you. You have the Holy Spirit right here. And that changes the whole dynamic of the battle. And God is faithful and will keep you protected from the evil one. It doesn't mean you're not going to have trials and tribulations. It doesn't mean you're not going to face hardships. It doesn't mean there won't be policies that are put in place that you don't agree with. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have to face this world. But what it means is you do not have to face it alone, and you will not be overcome by evil. The Holy Spirit will not let you become overcome by evil. This past week, I'm going to let you in, uh, not, not tell you full stuff, but I'm going to let you in on some of the stuff that's been going on in my family over the past week. This past week has been hell in my family. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because six kids got saved last week and Satan's ticked off. Flat tires, I've got a tire that's bad that we got to look at today. There's all kinds of other stuff going on that I'm not going to get into. But I'm here to tell you that we have paid a price. And it's hard sometimes because you look at it and you go, "How I'm being overcome by evil. We did a good thing and yet we're being overcome by evil. And I have to remind myself and I have to remind the people around me, no, Satan will never overcome me. I'm not going to win every battle because sometimes I don't focus on Christ and sometimes I don't use him. I don't use that authority that's been placed in me to tell Satan that we're going to keep going. Sometimes I fail in that, but I'm telling you that if you focus on Christ and you focus on the Holy Spirit, you will never be overcome by evil. It will not happen. You will face trials. You will face tribulations. You will face hardships, but you will not be overcome by evil. It's not going to happen. And if you keep that, if you cape with the faithful one, tell you what, you're going to get to heaven and you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that when I get there. And there have been times in my life when I know he wouldn't have said that. Keep going. He is the faithful one. In the midst of the hardship, he's the faithful one. So that's number one. He is faithful. Number two here, keep working. Keep working. Now we command you, brethren, I'm in, verse, uh, I'm in verse 6 down here. 
Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and, according to, and not according to the tradition which you received. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. And then Paul continues on to talk about, listen, we didn't just ask you for stuff. We worked hard. What, and this is not a rhetorical question. I'd like an answer, please. I'll say that before I ask the question. What was Paul's profession? He was a tent maker. He didn't just go to a city and be like, hey, I'm going to mooch off of everybody. He was a tent maker. And he used the funds to help support his ministry. Now he also, and we read it in scripture, he thanks different cities and stuff like that that send him money and stuff like that. So I'm not saying we should look at our missionaries and go, listen, you need to do something else to make your own money for this. I'm not saying that. It is a good thing, a godly thing to support missionaries. But Paul worked hard to make sure he and his fellow compatriots were not a burden to the people he was trying to reach for Christ. And it makes sense, right? If I came in here and was like, well, I expect you to pay me. I'll preach on Sunday, but I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to make sure that the Welcome Center is set up for Sunday morning. I'm not going to make sure that the dehumidifier downstairs gets emptied once or twice a day. I'm not going to make sure that I go visit people. I'm not going to make sure that I have office hours. Listen, I'm going to work for about an hour every Sunday, and I expect you guys to pay me. That's not a good thing. That's called being a burden. In my message, I could preach the best messages there could be, And it would not matter. It would fall on deaf ears. Why? Because you'd be like, well, this guy doesn't actually care about us. Notice what Paul does. He makes sure, to the best of his ability, he's not a burden. Because that means that his message falls on people that are watching him. Paul was held on a pedestal. And he knew he had to do his best to stay there so that people would listen. I'm not saying he was perfect. Paul was not, and he'd be the first to tell you, right? Philippians, not that I have attained, but I press forward towards the goal that is in Christ Jesus. He'll be the first person to tell you he wasn't perfect, but he worked hard to make sure he wasn't a burden to people. And then he says, listen, follow my example. You don't be a burden either. You work hard. Now, I'm not saying that there are times in our lives, right? There are times in our lives when we might be out of a job, when we're in this situation or that situation, and we need the help of the brothers and sisters around us. I'm not saying that Paul was telling the people here, listen, if you don't do stuff, you don't get any help. There's a heart behind it. Because he does say later on, right? We read later on in those verses, he does say, listen, if you're not working, you don't eat. And as a principle, that's correct. But sometimes we need a little help, and that's okay. Paul is not saying don't help people. Paul is saying, listen, if you have the ability to work, but you want to mooch off of everybody, then you don't get anything. And there's a spiritual heart behind that. There's a spiritual aspect behind that fact. If you are willing to work, if you are willing to go and put yourself out there, then your heart cares for other people. But if you are, it's the difference, let me put this out there, it's the difference between being a giver and being a taker. Now, all of us are takers at certain points. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to be a taker sometimes. It is a bad thing if you're never a giver. If you're never willing to give of yourself to people. 
And that's the spiritual heart that's behind this whole thing about working in bread. This isn't just about the physical loaf of bread. This is about the heart of the people in the church in Thessalonica. And he says, listen, don't be with unruly people. Don't be with them. Be disciplined and hardworking. I like the word here. I, I looked it up in a different translation. I believe it was the NIV. And the word they use there, um, instead of uh, unruly, is disruptive. I like that. Disrupt. Avoid disruptive people. It doesn't mean avoid people who speak hard truths that you don't want to hear. It means avoid people who just want to drive a wedge between you and, and other people, between people that are just, well, I don't like that you used a purple tablecloth on that. Well, I don't like the way we do this. I don't like the do... Avoid people that only say bad stuff. Avoid complainers. Psst, if you're a complainer, you should stop doing that. And you might say, Pastor, you're being disruptive right now. No, I'm speaking hard truths we don't want to hear. But avoid the people that are just constantly driving a wedge between you and other people that are constantly, and we all know them. We might have them at work. You might have them in your family. We all know the type of person that you look at and you go, they will never be happy. They'll never be happy about anything. I could do everything they want and they still won't be happy. Paul says, avoid those types of people. Here's the great thing, though. I'm going to skip down a whole bunch of verses here because we talked about them because they're all about the bread. I'm going to skip down to verse 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That person that is constantly being disruptive, but they're a Christian, avoid them. Don't associate with them. Now, it says him here, but that's because back then with language, if there was any male in a group, it immediately became masculine, right? That still happens in languages like Spanish today and stuff like that. So women, sorry, you're not off the hook here. You don't get off the hook for this. You're still included here. Avoid them, but don't just regard them as an enemy. Remember what I was talking about before about who the real enemy is? It becomes really easy to look at somebody else and go, man, they're constantly on my butt. They're constantly berating me. They don't leave me alone. I can't do anything right. They're my enemy. And you're talking to somebody else about them. They're not your enemy. Satan's your enemy. So don't regard that person as an enemy, but instead admonish or encourage. That word admonish means to encourage encourage them. When you see them at work on Monday morning and you walk in and they're just like, well, I just had a horrible weekend. It was hot. It was cold. This happened. And I don't, you know, well, you know what, brother, sister? Jesus loves you anyway. And I hope today is better than yesterday was for you. And then walk away. Give them some encouragement. Keep pushing that encouragement on them. I'm here to tell you some people aren't going to listen. We all know that type of person that just isn't happy about anything. And you keep trying to encourage them, and they just don't listen. All right, keep doing it. The Bible says, yet admonish them. You can't do this stuff unless you love people. Unless you truly love them, you're not going to be able to admonish them. You'll be able to do it for a little bit. Then eventually they'll wear you down enough that you're just like, I'm done with this. And then... You leave them alone, or you keep standing there and listening, and you're just mad all the time. 
You got to love people. And when you do, you don't see them as a disruptor. You don't see them as a, as, as a Debbie Downer. You don't see them as unruly. You see them as Christ sees them, and you love them. It doesn't mean you allow them to continue on their present course, because Christ doesn't. But it does mean that you love them. Sister, I really hope today is better for you. Let me, let me read you a verse real quick that I, in my devotionals that just it brightened my day. Let me read it to you real quick. Oh, isn't that so incredible? Brother, I'm sorry that work was hard for you on, uh, these, these past couple days. Man, how about, how about we sit down and, 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 and just, you know, let's pray together for a little bit. Let's take it to the Lord in prayer, shall we? <clears throat> right, we have this tendency in our culture to be like, well, you know, all right, brother, I'm sorry your work week was hard. Let's get a beer. We'll sit down and shoot the breeze and, and just hate on everything. No. Change that to, oh, brother, I'm sorry your work week was hard. Why don't we, let's take five minutes and just pray about it. And let's admonish God. Or not admonish. Let's, 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 let's praise him. You can admonish him. I don't think God needs your encouragement. But if you want to encourage him, go ahead. There's nothing wrong with it. And ever so slowly, you start to see the change in them. So they become not disruptive anymore. And they start listening to the word of God. Most of us aren't going to have a Saul to Paul moment in the way that he did. Jesus appears out of the sky, asks you why you're persecuting his children, and then blinds you. I'd like to hear about it, please. I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe. I don't think it's happened since Paul, so you've got 2,000 years of evidence to say it doesn't, but okay. Most of the time, it's a smaller change over time. It's like a little dial, right? It's a volume dial. You start it at zero, and then you're just slowly turning it up to one, two, three, four. And slowly but surely, you start hearing the music. And as you keep turning it and turning it, it gets louder and louder and louder until it's drowning everything else out. That's what our change is like most of the time. Sometimes people don't know where that dial is and they kind of need your help to show them. You can't do it for them. Only they can change that dial through Christ, but you've got to admonish them anyway. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a quick walk through Second Thessalonians. It's only been like four weeks of doing it. It's a short letter, but there's some deep truth in there about the end times and about faith and about love and about glorifying God. Next week is Father's Day, and we're going we're gonna to talk about dads. Maybe this week your father needs some encouragement. Give it to him. Maybe he's a disruptor. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's one of the, listen, right? I've said it forever, and I'll say it again. There are two types of old people in this world. There's the old person who just loves life. They've lived 70, 80 years, they've seen it all, and they just enjoy life. And then there's the old person who's lived 70, 80 years, and they're callous, and they hate everything. There's no in-between with old people. Sorry, guys. That's the truth of it. Go to a nursing home. You'll see it. I don't care which side you fall on. I don't care which side your parents fall on if you should have them still. I don't care which side anything falls on. Admonish them. Take a moment this week and admonish your dads. 
Admonish the people around you. And maybe, just maybe, this wasn't part of the sermon, but you get it anyway. If you're the latter type of old person, maybe stop and smell the roses a little more often. And just smile about stuff. Because, yeah, life is hard. And as we said, this was, what, five, six months ago, for like three months we said it every week. Life sucks. It does. What are you going to do about it? It's important. Be that light for somebody else this week. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take 10.30. 10.30 our meeting will start. to give you some time to talk to people. Give you some time to come out here, get some coffee, some lemon thingies, some mini cinnamon buns, whatever. Uh, give some time for mom to finish up with the, with the kids and stuff like that. So I'm going to pray, and then in about 10 minutes, we'll start our meeting here at, at, uh, at 10.30. So let's pray, and we'll, uh, we'll do that. Father, thank you for this morning again. I want to thank you for the book of 2 Thessalonians. It's a place that, you know, you know I love Revelation, and I love end times, and I didn't know about some of the stuff that's written in there. So I thank you for the knowledge that I have gained through reading this. And I pray, Father, that all of us here will have gained knowledge, that our, our faith will be deepened, that our love will be deepened for you and for the people around us. Father, help us to be a light, not to be a disruptive person, but to be the person that admonishes them. And if we are that disruptive person, as you know what, Father, I can be sometimes. Help me to smell the roses a little more often. Help me to go, you know what, it doesn't matter what color the tablecloth was. We had a fellowship time together. Father, we praise you, we love you, and it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.